0: scripture passage for today comes from 2nd Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 through 9 we want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part for they gave according to their means as I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others, that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God.
1: Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our in-person servant, as well as our live stream service. I hope... Uh, you had a wonderful week and that you are starting this lord's day with much joy and hope would you now join me in prayer let's pray together for god to bless our time let's pray father we ask that your grace would be among us lord we know that you are so faithful especially in times when we find ourselves so unfaithful lord even in the moments of our darkest times you shine the brightest light of your grace and your mercy upon us And Lord, though we are uh, tempted to fall into guilt and shame, Lord, you do not leave us in such a condition, but you lift up the countenance of our hearts and our eyes to the great throne of hope that we have in your son, Jesus. Father, I pray for all of us on this day, those who come tired and tattered, feeling torn up by all that is happening outside of us or even the struggle that we have within God, would you minister to us on this day, for you promised that when your saints gathered on this day set apart for your people, that you would refresh and renew us in the hope that we have in your Son. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bless this message in spite of the one who brings it, for we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'd like to talk to you guys today on the topic of being generous to the poor, or what is sometimes known as mercy ministry ministry in the church. And at first, this might seem like an unnecessary topic to address, given the fact that so many in our society are already generous to the poor, such as actually helping the poor directly or advocating for the poor indirectly. For example, you go to the local grocery store, you pick up a glossy magazine, and you can read about some latest A-list celebrity going to the third world, feeding the hungry, starting a school, adopting an orphan or two. Or you go on Facebook, and you get inspired by the latest video campaign of some organization promising to eradicate the sex trafficking industry or global poverty, and they're inviting you to participate in their quote-unquote movement. Yes, indeed, we are living in a time and age where being generous to the poor is trending in our society as it is on social media. And what's so encouraging about all this is that it seems like many young people today, many people like yourselves here, are leading the way. Just a few years ago, USA Today came out with an article entitled The New Face of Giving, where it profiles these young philanthropists in our society. And I thought that to set the stage for today's message, I would read you a portion of what this article says about people like you guys. Take a listen as it says this, quote, the United States long has been a nation of givers, but a new generation is transforming the way we do good. Millennials and Generation Xers, especially those 20s and 30-something starting careers, are finding ways to help others and prompting big changes in the ways charities raise money. Last year, donations from people of all ages and wallet sizes exceeded $300 billion for the first time, according to the Giving USA Foundation, which tracks philanthropy, end quote. Wonderful. And yet it causes me to circle back to where I began, to where I ask: is it necessary, therefore, for us to talk about this issue of giving generously to the poor, especially when so many are already doing it? Well, I would respond, absolutely not. We must talk about it. Why? Because even though it is true many people are giving generously without question, I do question the genuineness of such generosity. Oh, don't get me wrong, I think it is such good news that so many people today, especially the young, are giving so generously. But the question is, are people so generous for its own sake, or are they simply generous because it is trending, because it is popular? I think it goes without saying that nobody here ever wants to be charged of doing something because, quote-unquote, everyone else is doing it. No, anything that is done that is to be meaningful should be done because it is something that is of true passion and true conviction in our hearts, especially something as important as giving generously to the poor, which begs the question, how can you tell whether or not the generosity that you seek to give to the poor is true, authentic, genuine? Well, here in our passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is going to answer that question for us because here in this passage, he marks out the characteristics of genuine generosity so that if you would not only hear and heed it, you would be rest assured that the next opportunity you are given to be generous to the poor, you can know that you're doing it out of true love for neighbor rather than just loving on yourself. And so with that in mind, three things that Paul says mark genuine characteristics of generosity. And they are as follows. First, genuine generosity, it's painful. Yeah, it's painful. Secondly, genuine generosity is habitual. Genuine generosity is habitual. And then finally, genuine generosity is responsive. So if you want to know if your generosity is true, it's genuine, you have to understand that it has to be painful, habitual, and responsive. Okay? Let's begin with the first point. Genuine generosity is painful. Read again with me, verse 1 and 2 of our passage, where Paul writes the following. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of genuine. You have to know a little bit of the background of what's happening. During this time.. In Judea, there was a massive famine going on. And as a result, many Christians in the area, especially in the city of Jerusalem, were suffering severe economic depression. Many Christians in Jerusalem have been unemployed for quite a while, and some have even succumbed to homelessness. And as a result, the Apostle Paul, hearing this bad news, felt it necessary to advocate for these saints on their behalf by asking the various churches that he started, like the one in Corinth, to see if they'd be willing to share their financial resources and be generous with it. That's what's happening here in our passage. But here's what's interesting. If you go down to verse 10, which we didn't include in today's passage, you would come to find that this is not the first time that Paul asked the Corinthians to help out on this situation happening in Jerusalem. It turns out that Paul asked the Corinthians to help out over a year ago, which tells us that the Corinthians must have done some sort of promissory note or financial pledge to help out their brothers and sisters in Christ in Judea. And yet, according to one New Testament scholar, the Corinthians' generosity was scarce and irregular because here we are, a year has passed, and you have yet to make good on this promise to help out. Now, of course, we can only speculate as to why the Corinthians didn't follow through on their promise to be generous. Maybe they had mounting bills to pay. Maybe an unforeseen economic disaster fell upon them. Or maybe the cost of living in Corinth skyrocketed due to inflation. But whatever the reason may be, Paul makes it clear in these two verses that they would not be considered valid excuses in his eyes. How do I know that? I know that because of his reference to the Macedonians. You see how he mentions the Macedonians at the end of verse 1? Who are these people? Well, they're a group of Christians that made up a group of churches that Paul started on his second missionary journey. And notice what Paul says about these Christians in Macedonia. Who were they? They were people living in what? Extreme poverty. Extreme poverty. In other words, these Christians in Macedonia were very, very poor. And yet here's what's so astounding about these guys. They gave In overabundance and wealth of generosity, or as another translation puts it, they were richly generous. Listen again to what Paul says about them in verse 3. He says, the Macedonians gave, quote, according to their means, as I can testify and beyond their means. Do you know what he's saying here? He's saying these Macedonians, in spite of the fact that they were poor, still gave to help out their brethren in Jerusalem that resulted in them hurting financially because of it in other words they took on a painful financial burden in order to assist those brothers and sisters in christ in jerusalem now you hear that and that just sounds so foreign to us because that is so different to how we american christians today how we operate when it comes to our generosity because for us we are generous not until it hurts but so long as it doesn't hurt am i right case in point a few years back a uh, pastor once told me a story about how one year his church was getting ready to go on a short-term mission trip to a country in Africa. I believe it was Malawi. And one of the things that he wanted to do is raise donations to have people in the church to give donations for the people of Malawi. And one couple in his congregation, he didn't tell us who he was, who they were, but no joke, they donated used tea bags. Seriously. Okay? This couple in this congregation thought an act of generosity to the people of Malawi would be used teabags. They thought that was sufficient donations. Now, this pastor went on to say that other members of his church thankfully gave more appropriate, quote-unquote, donations. But even with that, used shirts, used shoes, the pastor asked, I'm not sure if this would qualify to the Bible standards of genuine generosity. And you know what? I happen to agree with him. Why? Well, consider this very penetrating quote. From theologian Randy Alcorn when he says this, quote, giving sacrificially also means giving the best. If we have two blankets and someone needs one of them, sacrificial giving hands over the better of the two. Sadly, much of our giving is merely discarding. Donating secondhand goods to church rummage sales and benevolence organization is certainly better than throwing them away. But giving away something we didn't want in the first place isn't giving. It's selective disposal. It's often done because we want a newer or better version end quote. Ouch. (laughs) Ouch is right, because what he's saying here is so spot on, is it not? So often when we are generous, we do so so long it doesn't hurt or hinder our current lifestyle or a lifestyle that we are aspiring to have. We only give so long as it's not painful, and yet scripture tells us that it's complete opposite. When it comes to generosity that is true, that is genuine, it should be such to where it does hurt. It is painful, for we're willing to take on a burden for the sake of those less fortunate than us. Listen to how Pastor Tim Keller once put it. Quote, a poor man is a man walking with a burden, a burden of discomfort and inconvenience. So when a Christian says, I can't afford to help the poor... He is really saying, if I help, it will cut into my style of living. In other words, some of the poor man's burden would slide over onto the helper. The helper would not be able to take the vacation he wants or buy the car he wants. Well, isn't that exactly what the Bible demands? If you're giving to the needy does not burden you or cut into your lifestyle in any way, you must give more, end quote. Now, I know some of you guys are hearing this and you're like, PJ, what are you saying? What are you implying? Are you saying that in order for me to be considered truly genuine in the eyes of God that I basically have to impoverish myself or my family? Are you saying that in order for me to be pleasing in the eyes of the Lord in terms of generosity that I have to put myself in economic duress and those that I love? To which I would respond, no, of course not. To which then you would respond, well, what are you saying then? Well, let me explain by going to my next point. Genuine generosity is habitual. Read again verse 7 of our passage where Paul says this, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Okay. So here in this verse, Paul, we see, is saying some very nice glowing terms about the Corinthians. In a sense, he's complimenting them, giving them high praise. And rightly so, because the church in Corinth was known at the time of being a church made up of very competent, very gifted people. These were people who were highly gifted with a variety of spiritual gifts, knowledge, faith, speech, and so forth. And as a result, the Corinthian church was considered an impressive group of people. And yet as impressive as they were, their pastor, the Apostle Paul, felt it necessary to challenge them with this challenge. Again, he says, see that you excel in this act of grace also. That phrase act of grace could be substituted as act of generosity. Paul is challenging the Corinthians to also excel in being generous. Now you hear that and that just sounds ridiculous. Who's ever heard of being excellent or excelling in generosity? Because for normal people like us, we think of categories of excellence in things like academics or work or sports or music when was the last time that a person aspired to excel in being generous probably not recently probably not ever because we don't usually think that way and yet paul says we should be thinking that way because according to him god wants his people to be excellent in generosity he wants us to excel to have great aptitude in doing that very thing why Well, if we fast forward to chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, he tells us in verse 7, listen to what he says. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. According to Paul, when God sees a person genuinely generous, not begrudgingly generous, or reluctantly generous, but genuinely generous, heartfelt generous, God loves it. He loves it. He loves it like when a sports fan loves seeing LeBron hitting the game-winning shot, winning the championship. He loves it like when a foodie eats a steak perfectly aged, marinated, and cooked. He loves it like a cultural snob loves watching Yo-Yo Ma perform a perfectly executed performance. In other words, God rejoices when he sees his people truly excelling in generosity, just like any of us would rejoice whenever we witness something that is excellent. Now, with that in mind, here's something that you need to understand. In order for a person to be excellent in anything, that person has to get into the habit of practice, right? No great musician, no great athlete, no great chef, no matter how much natural talent they have will truly be excellent unless they're in the habit of practice. Practice, which is almost always painstakingly painful right who's ever heard of practice being comfortable or easy right practice is when you do the blood sweat and tears it's as they once said the more you sweat in peace the less you bleed in war and that same thing applies when it comes to excelling in anything as well and when you understand that then you understand why i say genuine generosity is painful It's painful, not because you've impoverished yourself for the sake of the poor. No, it's painful because you're constantly doing the painstaking habit of practicing the act of generosity. That's why it hurts, because you're practicing constantly the act of being generous to those around you. Do you see that? Do you? Well, according to some recent studies, it seems like many of us don't get it. Not too long ago, Christianity Today came out with a study That revealed that only a small minority within the American church gives about 2.4% of their income in the forms of tithes and offerings, which includes giving to the poor. Which means the vast majority of American Christians don't give anything at all. And the study goes on to say that those small minorities, when their income increases, their generosity decreases. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying and don't make a conclusion that I'm not making. I am not stating that it's inherently wrong or it's wickedly evil to be rich or generous. Not at all. If you read throughout the history of church history, you will come to find many members who were very godly but also very wealthy. And yet, it was those very people that the Apostle Paul gave this very pastoral, stern warning. Listen to what he once said in 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, rich people, stop being rich. He doesn't say, wealthy people, give all your wealth away. He simply tells such people, listen, Do not put your hope in the things that you possess in the forms of riches and wealth. Put your hope in God and God alone. Because when you do, then you will see your riches and wealth for what it really is for. Not for your comfort, not for your indulgence, but as opportunity to get into the habit of practicing generosity. Think of it this way. For a wealthy Christian to not practice the habit of generosity, it's like LeBron never practicing basketball the week of the championship games. It's like Gordon Ramsay not practicing some dishes for a state dinner that he's going to do very soon. It's like Yo Yo Ma never practicing the cello right before he's about to do a nationwide televised performance. It's the tragedy of untapped excellence that truly is so wasteful and dishonors God and therefore displeases him. You see? Now, before I move on, I do want to pause for just a moment and highlight two common reasons that I have seen that other people have supported in what I've seen in terms of why so many Christians today are not habitually generous. Okay? There are two reasons. Reason number one is because many Christians today follow the pattern of their non-Christian peers. You know, Americans today are so notorious of living beyond their means, and it seems like Christians today follow that pattern. So many of us end up spending more than what we make to where we get into such severe debt to where whenever the opportunity of our income arises, it always goes to the credit cards. It always goes to the bills. It always goes to the loan officers, right? And so we cannot even begin the practice of being generous, let alone begin a habit of it. That's the first reason. So many of us live beyond what we are capable of living to where we buy things that we don't need And yet we can't afford, but we still get it anyway. The second reason why so many Christians today cannot habitually give is that they're foolishly generous. Because they get too emotional or because they're trying to impress and garner the applause of others, they just give their things away to any mission organization, to any church planting network without doing some thorough investigation. And as a result, they impoverish themselves, now mooching off of their friends and their loved ones. I've heard stories like this hundreds of times. In fact, not just me, but so has this guy named Tim Keller. Listen to what he once said on this matter. Quote, wisdom tells us that we must not give away our income so that we or our children become financial burdens to others in later years. We must not be so generous in such a way that we or our families become liability to others, end quote. So here we start to see that if you want to get into the habit of practicing generosity, which is painful, you need wisdom, you need discernment, You need to figure out what is appropriate and what is not so that you can be faithful in this call to be generous in the eyes of God. But that's the question. How can we know whether or not we're doing it right? How do we capture this wisdom that is required to be authentically generous? And that leads me to the final point. Genuine generosity is responsive. Read again verse 8 and 9 of our passage. It says this, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Notice how Paul begins these verses. He says, I say this not as a command. In other words, Paul is not trying to coerce the Corinthians with threats of guilt or shame to get them to be more generous. You know how growing up our parents, you know, God bless them. They would sometimes use the shame game or the guilt trip to get us to do things we don't want to do. Well, that's not what Paul is doing here. In fact, he doesn't have to do that because he has something way better that would actually inspire us to willingly be generous. And that's the gospel. Listen again to what he says in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Scripture makes it clear. Paul is crystal clear here. There is one thing that is so important, so precious, so valuable that God could have withheld from us. And it's not food, it's not clothing, it's not marriage, it's not children, and it's certainly not money. You know what it is? It's himself, right? The most important, the most precious, the most valuable thing that God could have withheld from us is himself. And he would have been justified in doing such thing because we are so wretchedly wicked, sinisterly sinful, okay? But God doesn't do that. Instead, he does what is truly the most remarkable, the greatest act of generosity of all. What does God do? God the Son comes into the world and becomes a man, an obscure, unimpressive, unattractive, underprivileged man by the name of Jesus Christ. Why? so that he could suffer the full payment, the full punishment, the full penalty for your sins and my sins by dying on the cross as our, our Savior's substitute. In other words, Jesus took on his own wrath that was directed at us and put it upon himself so that it wouldn't come upon you. Why? Because he truly loves you. That's why. The person to whom we cannot be without, who also happens to be the person that we rebel against, he loves us with a merciful, forgiving love. And when you are captured by that love, friends, you are not going to be intimidated by any pain that you would have to take on in order to be habitually generous. You know why? Because whatever pain that you experience to be generous financially, right, it is simply going to remind you of Jesus' greater pain that he had to endure to be super generous to you. And as a result, it will enhance your awareness of God's approval, God's applause, God's affection for you. And as a result, God's love becomes your greatest treasure. It becomes your greatest treasure to where no earthly treasure even compares to where you would even desire it the way you may be desiring it now, the way you may be wanting to attempt to spend, 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 to get all these earthly treasures. No. You won't even be tempted because the greatest treasure you have is already yours. You see? And furthermore, because God's affection for you is so great, that means his approval of you is your greatest joy, which means you will not feel the need to get any more approval from anyone else by trying to impress them by how much you give to this organization or that organization. You're not driven by those kinds of motives. Instead... You're driven in light of God's approval of me. How can I soberly, clearly, wisely give, strategically in such a way to where I can maximize the resources so that I can keep on giving afterwards, you see? It is only when you understand the gospel that you're able to respond to it to where you are able to create genuine generosity. Do you see that? Friends, here's the heart of the matter. Our God calls us to be genuinely generous. He calls us to be generous in such a way that is painful because we are constantly practicing habitually the act of generosity. You see? And if you find yourself honestly not there to where you find yourself resisting that, the answer is not to self-criticize and self-condemn yourself in the hopes that that will kind of get you wanting to just give your stuff away. Foolishly, no. What you should be doing is going back to the gospel and remembering the great costly love that our Jesus gave to you to where you would relish it and wait upon the proper response to come out of you because God says it will so that then and there you will truly be genuinely generous to those less fortunate. So here's my final question for today. Do you know this gospel? Do you believe it? Do you relish it? I pray that you do and that those less fortunate enough can benefit because of it. Let's seek to be a church that truly lives this beautiful, responsive love of God in the act of being genuinely generous to the poor. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would truly convict us to where we need to be convicted and challenge us in ways that maybe we have not been challenged before. Father, even though we can see so much of what we think we lack, help us to see in ways in which we have been so enriched, especially in your merciful love for us. Father, we need to treasure what is of great value. And yet sometimes we cast away that very thing by not recognizing of its exceeding value of comparing to the earthly treasures of this world. Father, forgive us for such foolishness. And help us to see the great riches that is now ours through your son, Jesus Christ. We have your great affections. We have your approval. We have your applause. And so, Lord, help us to hear that, to smell that, to feel that in all of our being so that we can respond in such a way that we can be generous with whatever resources that you bless us with. Help us to be a community that inspires each other with the hope of the gospel that we have so that we can truly be a church that is outwardly compassionate and fervent for mercy ministry. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen.